The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you have your Bible, would you open open the scriptures, your copy of the scriptures of 1 Peter chapter 5. If you're our guest, we're so glad that you're here. I would love to say hey to you if you have a minute to hang out. Uh, we love being a part of a church family, and we want to be a part of a, a community, not just a service. Can I get amen? And so uh, if you're looking for a place to call home, we would love to connect with you. I'd love to shake your hand, know your name. So I'll be hanging out after the service. We'd love to say hey to you. Hopefully there's people that you know. If not, we're always creating ways for you to connect. And so every week, uh, our middle and high school students gather on Wednesday nights, and then uh, we alternate different men's groups, women's group for Thursday nights, a joy group, 55 and up. And so there's large group opportunities where they have the whole, the whole site here and there's room for everybody. And so um, this week is uh, real-time women. So this is an opportunity this Thursday night for our, our women to gather and to enjoy time together in both prayer and praise, seeking God's face and ministering to one another. And so if you are of the female of the species, uh, you're invited this Thursday night for real-time women. We'd love to see you there. Um, so I was planning to start a new series this morning. Um, I felt this tension in my heart uh, all week, and I had these three three sermons that were floating around in my brain. And there's nothing as torturous for a preacher than having multiple sermons in your brain all at the same time. And uh, so I didn't know what the Lord was going to lead me to do this morning. Um, but I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me that God wanted me to wrap up a series that I preached last summer uh, that was interrupted. Do you guys remember we started a series entitled The Culture of Care? How many of you guys are here for The Culture of Care? So half or so that are willing to raise their hand. And The Culture of Care was... It's, you know, we're a growing church and one of the challenges of being part of a larger church, which is where we're heading, you have to navigate that well. If you want to retain who God's called you to be, growth is wonderful, but it can also alter who God's called you to be. If you're not careful, you can become something you're not trying to be. And one of the things that happens when you're in a growing and a larger church, it's easy just to get lost in the mix, uh, to not have community, to not have friends, and to find yourselves in a place of crisis or need and have no one to reach out to and to not be connected in a way um, that you find the support that you need during those periods of time. And so we really felt like this season uh, as a church, as we're growing, we wanted to work hard to create a culture of care, a culture of care. Now, you can't do everything, and if you try, you'll do everything poorly. Can I get an Amen. And so we're always seeking God about what he wants us to put our resources, our time, and our energy to. And so we're actually not a church that organizes small groups. So if you've been in a church like ours, you would imagine that there's a booth out there that's small group booth. And we're always saying, get in a small group, get in a small group. And we do believe that community happens in circles and not rows. We believe that you need to be a part of a small group of people who know you, who you can live life with, who can be a, a, a witness to the transformation of God in your life, who can, who can pray with you and study the scriptures with you. We 100% believe in that. And yet in this, this season of our church life, we're leaving it to people to independently organize their own groups. And so find people, we're gonna tell you that. And at this season, we're not doing the work of organizing small groups for you. That may come, but that's not what we're doing. But we did feel like in this season, God was saying, you need to do some work to have a system and a structure that allows you to care for the people of Christ Church. Particularly as we grow and people come in and they feel a part of the service and of the church and there's some identity there, but there's not the connection we need. And because the Lord led us that way, we took six weeks during the summer to talk about care from a scriptural standpoint and what it looks like to create a culture of care. There was six, six P words. <laughs> 
that we went through in those, in those six weeks. But something unfortunate happened in the middle of that series. We had that huge Delta variant spike. Do you guys remember this? Literally, like, I knew 40 people with COVID inside of three days, and a bunch of people got super, super sick. Some of our friends passed away. It was a very tumultuous period. And then we were forced to go into online-only services, and then our family got sick. And so I ended up finished, I did half of this sermon series live, and then half of the sermon series pre-recorded post-COVID, uh, low energy, and it was super boring and terrible, and it was our lowest attendance for the whole year in those three weeks. And so um, if, if you weren't a part of that series and you want to make Christ Church your home church, I would admonish you to take some time, just put them into your queue, and listen to those sermons it's going to give you an idea. I mean, we just came out of our DNA series to talk about what makes Christ Church, Christ Church, and how do we reproduce what God is doing here. But you'll get a better feel for the kind of church we're feeling called to be by listening to the Culture of Care series. And it's not easy. The first three are not bad. The second three, pretty difficult, a little painful. It's like season two of any show. They don't know if it's going to be good or not, you know? And that first season, you're like, I love this show. And season two, you're like, you guys ran out of ideas. That's what happened. So it feels like that a little bit, but push through. The content is worth it. But I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, um, we need to get back to the place where we were right at the end of that. Because our goal was to implement our systems. And we have great systems for care, but people don't know what they are. There's opportunities for you to serve. I have lots of people coming to me week after week going, I feel like I'm called to be here. I want to serve. Not with the children. I always caveat that. Asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. Not with the children. But there's so many places and there's so much need. And so we want to be a church that's ready to mobilize to help people at the point of their need. Can I get Amen. And if you can't say amen yet, wait till you're the one in need. And there's people whose names you've never seen who are bringing you meals as you're going through a dark day. And so this is where we feel like God's calling us. And so this is what we're leaning into. And so I would like to kind of wrap up and provide some uh, tools to move forward as we consider what it means to have a culture of care. And so would you look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5? 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse six, verse six. First Peter five, verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Man, the Holy Spirit's already interrupting me. I just gotta say, uh, one of the biggest hindrances to receiving care is that sometimes we are too proud. Sometimes we're too proud to ask Sometimes we're even too proud to receive. Sometimes we feel less of a person and weak by needing something. But brothers and sisters, it is part of our human experience. We are dependent creatures. When everything is going perfectly, we still need God 100% of the time. Do you know it? And things don't go perfectly, do they? And so we need each other a lot of the time. Can we be people who are humble enough to say, at this point, I have a need and then have the humility not only to ask God in prayer, but to receive it when God answers that by a per another person. And so we need to be able to humble ourselves. Under, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And aren't we glad he has a mighty hand? Aren't you glad God will never leave you guessing if he can handle what you need when you humble yourself? So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. He may lift you up out of the situation. Here's how we do this, verse seven. Casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. And then we get this caution in verse eight. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, 
the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I don't know, it's really exciting and fun to be a part of a lively, multi-generational, growing church with young families and lots of children. But I guarantee you when you're a part of something that is growing, either yourself spiritually, the community you're in, that's making an impact in the world, you are literally yelling to the devil, I'm over here, devil. Do you know that? I'm over here trying to be helpful. Come get me. That's what happens. And so let's not be unaware that we have an adversary and yet not one who we are in real danger of because verse nine tells us simply resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There's a temptation in suffering to immediately wonder, what did I do wrong to deserve this? And that right there, brothers and sisters, is a misunderstanding of how God feels about you and the way the world works. And the enemy would love to exploit that impulse to paralyze you and to have all of your perspective on something wrong with you and not on the power of God. Do you know it? And here's the good news. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's where this is going. You ready? You having a rough patch right now? Here's where this is going. God himself is going to confirm you. Mine, you are mine, you made it, I brought you there, I had you, you were never alone. I helped you, met the need, gave you the strength, gave you the power, strengthened your faith, restores you. Everything that the world can take from you, everything the enemy can take from you, everything your own mistakes can strip out of your life, God has the power to give it all back and more. We have a restoring God. Isn't that good news? Restore, confirm, strengthen, strengthen and establish you, to put you in a place that's going to last forever, established and then Peter ends in verse 11, this section, just giving praise and honor to God. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes when we're suffering, we just feel like if we could get control of the situation, if we could get our hands on enough resources, if we could find the right diagnosis, if we could find the right information, sometimes we feel like if we just had control or dominion, everything would be right. But the problem is that's a fallacy from go. But we serve the one who has all dominion and we can entrust ourselves to him and he will carry us through anything and he is the one who cares for us. And so how do we apply this scripture to posture ourselves to be a part of a culture of care, to receive it when we need it and to give it when we can and to see the light of God's glory shine in a community and for a community so that God gets the glory and we slap that devil in the face. And so let's ask the Holy Spirit to apply this passage and others to our hearts this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for Peter, for his ministry, his faithfulness. God, the fact that he let you restore him when he went astray, when he had crisis after crisis of faith and said the wrong thing. God, you were always there. And here is a man who from personal experience and by revelation of your Holy Spirit has come to understand how we can experience your miraculous strengthening and care. 
God, teach us to humble ourselves and to cast our anxieties, our cares upon you, to be confident that you care for us, to have the ability to go through adverse circumstances and to do so together, knowing that we are in this together and that this is going somewhere and that somewhere is where you yourself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. God, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts. We're open and ready. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So it is, uh, it is race week, and um, we went to the race last night. We have some friends from out of town who are here in this service, and among us, we have four adults and six children, so we thought it'd be a good idea to take them to a sporting event. <laughs> so uh, we, we have a close friend who works for NASCAR, and so for like seven or 10 years now, uh, we've been gifted passes to the races. So uh, I haven't paid for a race in a really long time. That was humbling. <laughs> and uh, it's not just pass. It's not just like tickets. Anybody ever get, give, be given tickets to something? So the tickets we get are like the tickets that like owners and CEOs and superstars and drivers and famous people get. And um, you kind of take that for granted a little bit when you're experiencing it. I mean, the first time you're like, wow, this is like dazzled by like access everywhere. And then after a while, you're like, yeah, of course, I'm one of you. You know, that's how you feel. That's just the way it sinks in. And so it was a very humbling experience to not have that. Um, and uh, so our friend retired and doesn't have access to tickets anymore. So if you have access to tickets, <laughs> I mean, I have this platform. It would be silly of me not to exploit it for my personal gain, you know, <laughs> at least every once in a while. So, uh, but we decided to take the kids and we wanted to go to a race that was smaller and less crowded and not full and that we could afford. And so we decided to go to the Xfinity race, which was last night. And so, you know, here I am having had this beautiful, incredible, no limits access to the races all this time. And so um, we bought our cheap tickets on the internet and printed off a QR code. And about an hour before the race, we decided to drive down. There were apparently NASCAR's kind of going through a bit of a resurgence right now. Everybody's flying to the free state of Florida and doing stuff maskless. So that's exciting. Uh, but we weren't, we weren't expecting there to be the mass amounts of lines for like the second tier series racing. And so... You know, me, I'm always Mr. It'll be fine. I know I've said that before and I've got some of you who are part of the Christchurch family. We're glad you're here. And um, I'm married to a planner. So that's a good combo. So if you have a it'll be fine person married to a planner, you get a lot of stuff done well. Two it'll be fines, not so much. Uh, two planners tend to always have conflict, but it works out for Tiffany and I. But uh, since I was driving, I decided, well, we got these infield tickets. They're the cheapest ones. So I'm just gonna try to drive us into the infield without a pass. I mean, like... <laughs> What's the worst they can say? No. Nope. So uh, we drove through traffic from our house all the way around the speedway, like two and a half miles to gate 40. We get in there and we're like, can we just go in? And they're like, yeah, no, you cannot go in at all. You cannot do that. They were very, very polite and friendly. And they were like, you need to go to the other side of the two and a half mile tri-oval that's, you know, seven blocks closer to your home where you came from and go to one of those lots. So we drove all the way back around and we get there and it says prepaid parking only. So I'm in line with my phone going back to that place where I could have bought parking passes the day before when I bought my tickets and now they have no parking. So I went in there and asked them, could we just come in anyway? And they said no. And so they spun us around and told us to go to the infamous Lot 7. Have you guys seen the signs for Lot 7? Lot 7 is the free parking where they basically send you to Ormond and they put you in a field in the woods where you feel like 
uh, someone may run off with you. It's very like, how did I get here? Where am I going? And they just utilize all the Volusia County school buses. And so we just get on a school bus and they literally just drive you through a road you didn't know existed that crosses over major intersections. And they just drive you right up across the street from the track where you still have to walk a mile to get to the place where you get the tickets. Okay. So this is a new experience for me. And <laughs> Of course, it took us an hour and a half to get to this point. The race has already started. We're managing it as adults, but it wasn't pretty. There was some tension between me and the planner, you know? <laughs> as, as you can imagine. I won't describe to you the dialogue, but it was mostly me looking forward and not saying anything. <laughs> so, anyway, we roll up to the track and we're like, at this point, we'd have to get on a tram that would take us now another mild drive through the tunnel and into the infield to use our tickets. By the time we get our army of children to the infield, the race is going to be half over. So we just ask, can we just upgrade our tickets? No. And then they said, these tickets you bought were useless anyway. I don't even know how you bought these. You have to have a ticket to buy this. And I was like, how did you sell me this? So now I'm twitching, you know what I mean? The race started a half an hour ago. Kids don't know, they don't even care, whatever. They're just having a good time. They're like, are there french fries in there? <laughs> so we end up having to buy tickets at the booth. We go in a, a half an hour late, just like a little frazzled. The kids are lined up. And of course, once you get in there though, the roar of stock cars is just awe-inspiring. And so we're all watching this. And I just love watching Julian, who's on the front row. This is not as exciting for him as yesterday. Uh, and you know, he's watching... He's watching, and he's watching the cars, and his eyes, mind's blown, oh, he's screaming. It was the only place we've ever taken him publicly where no one complained about his volume. <laughs> it was great. It was really a freeing moment for me. And I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, he is not even close to the loudest thing around, and most people have headphones on. So I'm like, this is his spot. We're going to do this. We're going to do this a lot. Um, one of the things that you will notice, though, about navigating some of those events is that uh, this one's done really, 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 really well. And so there's a huge throngs of people, I mean, crowds of people, traffic and people walking, and it just moves really, really seamlessly and easy. And people weren't being like rude. I mean, there's people who are being inconsiderate, you know, getting out of the car in traffic. Hope, oh, excuse me, hope, oh, just gonna cut through here. Some of that going on, but for the most part, everybody was really kind and courteous and considerate. And we all got in there and we all got out of there. Uh, and so it was one of the nicest um, large crowd experiences that I've had. And if you've been a part of a crowd, maybe you've experienced that. Some of you experienced that for the first time this morning. You came in, you walked in, you're like, I feel like the church should be right here. And there's just a hallway to my left. I don't know where I'm going. And you just followed the crowd and meandered through and to found your coffee and your seat and you got in here and a little disorienting, but everybody was nice and friendly and you're gonna do the same when you leave. And you're like, how long before that happens? <laughs> but something happened to us that was super cool uh, inside the track. So we're sitting down and we're in general admission with the regular surfs. And, and so Julian is watching the cars and he's plugging his ears. And so here we are, four adults, six children. Nobody had a warm enough jacket, no earplugs. Now you imagine everybody around us could have been like, that was not a smart choice. You know, bringing them here, not having them adequately covered, not having earplugs. We could have been easily just judged and overlooked. But people started coming down to our row and offering extra sets of earplugs for the kids. At one point, the, the kids were cold and there, I saw these like checkered blankets that you could buy. And so I went up um, to see how much they were. They were re reasonably priced, priced at $25. I would have paid 50. And, and, uh, 
And so I came down with the blanket, you know, and literally it was like a whole cheering section when all the people above us saw our shivering daughters all huddled up and I brought the blanket. They were like, yeah, it was like a whole other race. They're like, yes. I was like, check your flag, winner dad, yeah. That's all right, I took it out of their college fund. You know, it was like, it was warm. But there was this cool like camaraderie that happened in and around us. And we were like the objects of other people's awareness and intervention and generosity and care. And then we're like, everybody has their, their, their driver, you know? And so people are cheering when their drivers change positions and let's go Brandon. It was a whole thing, it was awesome. <laughs> so here we are, here, here we are at this race. And then at one point, there was a really horrible accident. So it's the last lap. And this is one of the reasons I like the Xfinity series because there's these experienced drivers and these inexperienced drivers. They don't know how to interact with each other. And so when, when it gets tense, like right before the stages end and at the end of the race, everybody starts making stupid moves. And so it's very exciting. And so it's the last lap on the backstretch and, and the number 31 car gets hit into the wall, gets a little bit of air under it, totally lifts up, upside down, it's just sailing through, hits four giant posts, knocks them out, flips end over end. The rear end comes off, the front end comes off, the engine goes rolling into the back stretch, and the cage is on fire, just, just, and everybody to their feet all at the same time. <gasps> you could hear it. And then it was dead silent. Everybody's waiting. And then he drops the little window screen and puts his hand out and, ah! for a second, he was everybody's driver. And that, brothers and sisters, is care. And it's unusual that we would experience it at a NASCAR event, but how many people don't experience it in church? It's important because God made us to be a part of a community and not a crowd. Do you know that? You know, as soon as the race was over, we all went back to like our little penguin march back to the buses. <laughs> All camaraderie, finito, right? Just orderly little line. Take me somewhere in the woods. I don't know where we're going. But there was a moment, there was a moment when our when our, our faces were fixed on something that brought us together and that stirred in us a spirit of inclusiveness and generosity and awareness and compassion and intervention. And I thought that was such a beautiful thing. And as I read the scriptures, and especially going through that Culture of Care series last summer, over and over and over again, all these different places where we see like, this is God's heart for you to experience being a part of something where people you don't know see your situation and want to help you. And we need that, brothers and sisters. Listen, we uniquely need that. As Americans, we are ridiculously and ruggedly individualistic. I feel like garage doors and air conditioning have really allowed us to take our prosperity and turn it into privacy. And we can live our whole little life and sometimes not even know the people who live on our street. We can minimize our relationships down to those people we must get along with. And we can find a church that's big enough that we can get in and get out with anybody talking to us. And so I'm here saying, let's not be that church. Let's work hard to fix our focus on what is really going on in front of us and then come alongside of each other to provide the, the support and the strengthening and the encouragement that we need, amen? And so we need a little bit of a perspective change. And Peter helps us with that. He reminds us that this suffering that we're experiencing is normal, all of us are going through it, that it's temporal, it doesn't last forever, 
And what we are a part of is eternal. You've seen that. This is what we've been called to. And so we need this uh, experience and we need this awareness so that we can walk through the difficult period of life. Now, I don't know why this happens, but most of us have this natural impulse, this inclination, this intuition that says, if God loved me, why wouldn't he just stop this? I don't know why everybody feels that way. You get, you get uh, an injury or a relationship has an issue or you end up with a diagnosis and there's this impulse in every one of us to go, if God loved me, he would heal me. He would give us peace. He would give me the provision I need. He would give me a better job. And, and we start to question the power and goodness of God because of our suffering. And we all do it. I do it. All of us do it. We can't help it. Not all of us talk about it. Certainly not in church but we all do it. And it's important that we expose ourselves to the scriptures because the scriptures normalize suffering. And they also help us understand that God is not the source of your suffering. Now, God wastes nothing and God definitely uses suffering. If you've been following Jesus more than five minutes, somebody give me an amen. Sometimes we look back on something we really suffered through and we go, God used that to change my life for the better. I wouldn't undo that if I had the opportunity because that changed my life. God always uses suffering. He wastes nothing. But he's not up there looking for ways to make you suffer. Do you know that? He's not. God is not the source and author of suffering for the purpose of hurting you. But God looks into a world broken, explains to us why it's the way it is. Do you realize this? The reason the world is the way it is is for two reasons. One, because of the disbelief, distrust, and disobedience of people to God. Think about every law that's broken, every, every covenant that's violated, every lie that's told, every hurtful word, every crime. All of those things are because people are not being who God has called us to be. That is part of the reason there's so much suffering in the world. Do you realize that? And secondly, because God has the creation under a curse because of that, but it's a curse he plans to redeem people through and from and put everything back together again in a curseless, blessed world with a perfected people in Jesus. Do you realize that? And so the Bible tells us very clearly from start to finish that this world's a broken one and all people are broken people. And so we should not be surprised when we make each other suffer. And so here we are trying to get through this life and God has seen fit not to deliver all people from all suffering so as to vindicate his character, but instead to minister us to us in the midst of suffering and through other people that we might experience his power and strength and comfort and care in the midst of suffering. Amen. And so God is not the source of your suffering, but God's care comes to us through suffering. And God illustrates this by his solution to our human predicament coming to the form of us, of Jesus. And look at this, this is Hebrew, Hebrews 2.8. Now the author of Hebrews is writing to a Jewish audience that is, knows everything there is to know about Judaism. So if you read Hebrews and you're a little lost, that's because you're not one of them. So there's a little study on our part to understand this. But these are people who are now experiencing suffering, persecution, because they're Christians and it's legal to be Jewish and socially acceptable, but not Christian. And so they go, why don't we just become Jewish again and do all the Jewish things plus Jesus? 
And the author says, no, 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 Jesus is better. All of those things were aimed at him. He fulfills them all. And so it's Jesus. Jesus has now, he's eliminated all of those things. You have Jesus and the, all those things are iPhone three, four, five, six, seven. Totally, don't need them anymore. Obsolete. So look, look what the author says in Hebrews chapter two and verse eight. Now, he's talking about Jesus being victorious over death in the grave, ascending into heaven. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, God left nothing outside his control. And that's the world we live in. Even though it doesn't look like that, the reality is God has handed the world over to the son of God, Jesus, who is ruling and reigning from heaven's throne. Everything is under his control. Nothing is outside of his control. And therefore nothing, nothing can usurp God's command and care and get to you. Do you realize that? And so God isn't the source of your suffering, but he is certainly presiding over your suffering. These are important theological understandings. So think about this for a second. We, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So the author's saying, I know it doesn't look like God's in control. Do you see that? And that's a very important yet right there. That's the yet. That's the, we are all going somewhere eternal where God puts everything back together, yet. We do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But, but, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Do you see what God did to rescue us from suffering? He went all the way into it. He went through it to get us out of it. Do you see what he did? And so he's endured it. He's absorbed it. And he's been victorious over it. Verse 10, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And so we serve a God who looks at you in your situation, whether it happened to you or you caused it or it's part of this broken world and he sees you in pain and he says, I am with you. I am not ashamed of you. I am here to save you. I am here to rescue you. I am here to minister to you. I am here to care for you. Do you see the heart of Jesus? He doesn't say he'll take away your suffering. He doesn't. Sometimes he shortens it. Sometimes he lifts you out of it, but he doesn't promise that you will have a life that is suffering free. Do you know that? Suffering, brothers and sisters, has always been the precursor to resurrection and exaltation. This is why we humble ourselves. We come to God in prayer, dependent, asking God, do for me what I can do for myself. Here's all my cares. I am not in control. You have dominion. I give it over to you. I trust in your care for me. Do you see this? And I'm gonna recognize that this life is short and it may be painful, but I'm gonna get through it. I'm a part of something that's eternal and unending and, and it's a gift from God and he's made it through it. And because he's made it through it, I will make it through it. Now, this is amazing. And if it was just that, if that's all you had, I could give you this truth, this theological understanding. You could take it home and sit in your house and wait to die. <laughs> but that's not all there is. Because Jesus, who's ruling and reigning, has created for himself on earth 
an extension of his sovereign rule and reign. And the scriptures speak to that as a head is to a body. He says, I have a head who's the mind and giving all of the decrees and all of the direction. And yet I'm, I am present on the earth, not in the form of a human being like Jesus was in the first century, but I'm present on the earth in the form of those joined with me by faith who now are members of my body. And so is Jesus here to rescue us? Absolutely, yes, he is. And it's called the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 24. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Listen to this, this is profound. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now listen, verse 27, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. If you back up in this section, verse seven, Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian churches, to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. He says in verse 11 and 12, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is not with the church, but with Christ. This is incredible when you let it hit you for a second. You, brothers and sisters, are the visible, spirit-empowered manifestation of God present on earth to minister to a hurting world and to care for the body of Jesus. That's you. That's you. That's what God says you are. Which is weird because some of us last summer were like, I was thinking about joining one of those teams. But I didn't. Soccer, Bible study, book study, maybe good things. Maybe don't have time, worked overtime, too many shifts, can't do it. Went to find the button, couldn't find the button, gave up. No idea. But it hasn't changed the thing about who God says you are, what God's calling is for you, what God wants to do through you. And when it's your turn to suffer, what God wants to do for you. What God wants to do for you. Now, I put a lot of pressure on you in this moment. I let it sit there for a second because I, I want you to think about yourself differently. Sometimes we need to do that. And all of us have these moments. I've had these moments and they, they, sometimes they hit you a little hard. I remember when we had our first child and we, they told us we could go home from the hospital. And they were like, okay, we're checking you out and here's your little baby. And I'm holding Evie and she's a six pound, nine ounce thing. And Tiffany's just given birth and I'm standing there as the man of the household and dad to a child that does not yet speak English. And the doctor's just like, okay, you're good, you can go. And, 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 and like, this is like two nights of every little snarl sound the baby make. I'm like, is she gonna die? You know, you're sitting in a chair. Ah, where's the sucky thing? You know, you're like frantic. You know, you want them to live. And then, and then they're just like, you can go. And I remember thinking like, well, well, well where's my nurses? Who's, who's gonna come check on? You're gonna entrust this baby to me? I got a friend right now, Marco. He's going for the same exact thing. Here, here's your baby. Deal with it. Ah! suddenly dad felt like a much bigger word than I had used it previously. 
You see that? And so we're going to begin to see ourselves the way God sees us and walk in the calling that God has called us to. Okay. I love the encouragement of the reality of the scriptures. I'm going to just wrap us up. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is probably a familiar passage to many of you, verses 7 to 11. But think about it for a second. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Do you realize that it's, um, this is the Bible calling you a crackpot, by the way. I don't know if you got that or not. You're, you are not impressive on the outside. Uh, a jar of clay is like, you know, vase, cookware, Tupperware. I mean, you, Pyrex, you, you pick the new term. You're just a container. But because of what God has done and what he wants to do to restore humanity to himself, the gift of salvation that he's given to you through faith in Jesus, the deposit of his Holy Spirit, you in your crackpot body contain a treasure, an eternal, timeless treasure that God wants to give to every person in the world and that can do for you things that you cannot even imagine. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show, let's not forget the source of our care. It's not us, it's God, he's the source. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. See, this is the experience that God wants you to have with him by being who he says you are. My friend Raymond and I, we went to pastor's college together, Tiffany and I and his wife, Barbara, we were in a little community group, a little accountability group. We had no children together at the same time and God has blessed our families and we have spent the last 15 years vacationing together and having really a lot of fun together. And one of the fun parts about vacationing with old friends is, um, I mean, our wives look exactly the same as they did 15 years ago, but Raymond and I, not so much. And so we spent most of this vacation comparing who had grown their belly out more and who had the more impressive bald spot. That's what we were doing. We were saying, look what 15 years has done to us. Imagine what the next 15 years is gonna be like. Oh my goodness, maybe we should intervene. (laughs) Too hard. The reality is, is that all of us have this very short life that most of it is spent getting older. Do you realize that? Do you realize that? I don't know when I stopped being young, but I do know that I'm consistently getting older and older and older. From now until I meet Jesus, it's just older. That's what's coming. And yet I can tell you the miracles that God has done in my heart and mind and spirit and relationships because of this power is priceless and I would never go back. You ever have anybody ask you if you could go back and do it over again, would you? You know what I'm terrified of? Who I used to be on the inside back then. So no, I wouldn't go back and do it over. I wish I could learn the lessons earlier, 
but I'm grateful for what God is doing on the inside. And so God wants to transform you to be a part of his caring body. We do not lose heart. Our outer self may be wasting away. Our inner self's being renewed day by day. Look at this perspective. Here's where I want to close. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God is looking for a place to put on display his eternal power. And I wonder this morning if you would like to be one of those displays. We need this, brothers and sisters. We're soft in the 21st century in America. We are. And we got a culture that is priming us and pumping us to be victims as though that's the place to live. And all victims can do is blame somebody else, tear things down and complain. And that's what's a lot going on in the world. Can I get amen? And that is not good news for anybody. You know what happens when you tear everything down? Only bad things happen when you tear everything down. And if you can tell everyone, you don't deserve to suffer this way. It's not your fault you're suffering this way. It's somebody else that caused your suffering. We should destroy a person. All you're doing is dividing, polarizing, and destroying anything that provides stability and safety for other people. Do you realize that? We live in a world full of victims. Let us not capitulate to join them in the complacency and the complaining, but instead to stand by faith in the victory that we have received in Christ to step up out of our own suffering, to say, God's doing a work in me, and so I embrace it, depend on him, humble myself, and when it's someone else's turn, how can I help? Watch what the church can do when we decide to be the body of Christ for each other, to take care of each other, and then to get active in the world to begin to meet needs for people who will not understand when you intervene on their behalf when you don't know them. I can't tell you what it felt like to have a stranger thinking about my son's ears. Because all I think about is what my son does to my ears. He handed me those earplugs. I'm thinking, I'm going to save those for later. Those are mine when you're done, buddy. Taking those to the house. It, 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 I'm serious. It feel, you feel it. It was, a, it was a beautiful thing to be out of race and to feel cared for by a stranger. But imagine you come into a community and you're cancer-ridden, alone, hated, broken, addicted, and you find good news of great joy for all people, a God who wants to rescue you out of your own brokenness inside and outside. And though our bodies are all wasting away, he's gonna renew our spirits and he's gonna carry us home and let us be a part of something eternal. And he wants to give us a deposit of his spirit and to use us to be a part of his mission on the earth and to use our gifts for the common good. He wants to give your life meaning and value and purpose and restore your dignity and give you hope. This is what you come into. And then in the midst of that, he says, now guess what? There's all these people that you don't know, but they're a part of you. And if you have a need, there's people eager to help you. What? Yeah, and, and you can use the gifts you have to be generous and kind and caring to people who do not even know your name and yet who need help and they've humbled themselves before God and they've asked for help and they're part of a community and now we can rush in all around them. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is earth-shattering stuff. This is not normal. Let's not, let's not, let's not just sanctify it into, a, yeah, we're a church that brings... Taco chili. No, no, no. 
No, we're going to be part of a community that carries each other through the broken part of redemptive history all the way through to the part that lasts forever. Do you see that? We're a part of something that lasts forever. And we need that. Oh my gosh, it gives you perspective and makes things that are so dumb as trivial as they really are. Do you realize this? When we lose this perspective, these little things we care about become this big in our face. It's all we can think about. And we just rail on stuff and complain. No, 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 no. Back up for a second. Look at what God says is actually going on. And look how small this little thing is in comparison. Now receive this treasure that God wants to give you and walk in it and walk in it. And I dare you, I dare you to walk in it. Watch what happens in you, eventually for you, when you become a part of what God truly made you to be a part of. And so we're not doing small groups right now, but we are doing care. And so this is very, very simple. And I never explained this. And so I wanna give you two images before we, before we leave today so you know how to do this, okay? So on our website, there's a limited number of topics you can choose. I'm new here, resources, give. One of them, is says care. And it goes to a very simple page. If you click that little care tab, it opens up this page, this pictured behind me, not that one, the one before it. And there's just two little buttons there on the left. You see that? Click here to register for care team. This is saying, I wanna help. Call me when I will go pray with people. I'll make phone calls, visit people in the hospital, bring flowers, bring a meal, be on a prayer team. I wanna be a part of the care team. That's where you click to do that. The other one is click here to request care. If you request care, a little form pops up, very simple. And most people do not have the boldness and humility to ask for care for themselves. And so you need to get used to using this form for other people. So I'm giving you permission, okay? This is me, your pastor, giving you permission to fill this out on behalf of another person. So instead of your name, put their name. Instead of your email, put their email. Instead of your number, put their number. Let us know so we can coordinate to let everyone else know how we can care. And let's be the place where people who have a need are quickly surrounded by others to meet that need. Can we do that? I think you'll be shocked to find out how easy it is how fulfilling it is when you realize God actually made you to live your life this way, the joy of generosity and generous living. And when you become the recipient, when somebody who finds out about your situation gets on there and puts your email address in the form and somebody calls you to say, we're, we're praying for you. When flowers show up at the hospital room, when the meals start arriving, when you're too frazzled to think about shopping or cooking, you will begin to experience the care of the God of the universe through the body of Christ. This is who God says we are. And so let us walk in it, amen? Now we're gonna close, but I wanna, I wanna give you an opportunity. If you're here this morning and this is all new to you, you got dragged here on promise of lunch or race tickets or whatever, I don't know how they got you here. And you, you're not a Jesus follower, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or maybe you were raised in the church or your parents were Baptist or you're from Texas. I don't know. But in this moment, you realize whatever you're talking about in here that's in here is not in there. And you're feeling that tug, that spiritual tug to go, I don't have it. That's the Holy Spirit and that's him wanting to give it to you. Do you know that? If you ever sense any type of void, it's because God is showing you what he wants to give you, that you were made by him, for him, to live with him forever. And without the gift of Jesus, you will not be with him forever. And so this is an opportunity for you simply in prayer between you and God to say, 
I want to receive this gift of salvation and forgiveness. I want to be a part of this body of Christ. I want to have a place in eternity under the rule and reign of Jesus. I want to be saved from my sin and forgiven. I want to be redeemed, restored, confirmed, strengthened, established. And if, if you genuinely in your heart right now say, I know I have problems and I know I am broken and that is God's solution and I want to receive it, you can pray a simple prayer with me and become one of us and part of the family and have a home in heaven today. And I want to admonish you, do not let this moment pass. Do not think about it. Do not go home and make a list. This is your opportunity to give God everything and to receive his everything in return. Amen. And so God, I just pray for those who can agree with that description. Lord, as they look to you and say, I need what you're offering. I know that I was made for you. And I know that I've gone my own way and I don't have this treasure. And so forgive me, God. Forgive me and I give you my life. Make me yours forever. God, in this moment, I pray you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and power. God, that you would be a voice inside their spirit to confirm and establish and that they would know that you are present with them and you will never leave them and you to begin to work to do your transforming work today. And I also just feel led to, to give an, an opportunity to minister to people who have interpreted their suffering as God's punishment or God's abandonment or God's inability or God's distance. And if you're here this morning and you're in the midst of some kind of suffering and you feel alone and therefore have concluded that you are alone, I am here as a messenger from heaven to let you know that God has been watching every moment of your life and has never left your side and cares deeply about every tear and every pain and every heartache. He is the one who names the stars and binds up the brokenhearted. And God wants to let you know that your suffering is not purposeless, it is not in vain, and it does not go unnoticed. And he has a plan not only to rescue you out of this suffering and brokenness, but to surround you with people who care for you and to bring you safely home. We're gonna, team's gonna lead us in a song as we conclude the service. And I just wanna encourage you, if, if you... If you feel that way, if you have felt lost because of your pain or your suffering or your trials, and you hear this message from God that this has not escaped his notice, that he loves you and that he wants to care for you and that he wants to create a people to express that care in tangible ways and, and he wants you to be in it and a part of it, that I just want you to receive that from him and express that to God in prayer. God, I pray that as we respond Lord, that you would do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. Lord, you are the only one that knows the condition of every human heart and every experience, every trial and pain. And God, I just pray that you would meet us at the point of our need. Lord, if we need a perspective change, if we need wisdom from heaven, if we need transformation, rescue, provision, healing, God, I just pray that as we look to you and turn to you in song and give you our praise, Lord, that we would have an encounter with you that's transforming. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen.